Welcome to episode 163 of the Canadian Purple Podcast, recorded May 29th, 2022. My name is Ian. I'm a surprisingly social hermit on Vancouver Island. Uh, Eric is fo- focusing on family for some reason, so I'm lead host tonight. Uh, use small words in your questions. Go easy on me, please. No. And uh, I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, general overall handyman, and weather nerd. I'll explain that in a bit. Um, for those of you who are uh, frequent listeners, uh, you know that Eric has been uh, absent the last uh, few episodes for, as Ian said, family reasons. Uh, so the uh, myself, along with the rest of the panel, uh, wish to congratulate Eric on the arrival of his uh, second child, the uh, daughter Ava Catherine, born last Friday, uh, weighing a whopping 11 pounds, 9 ounces. Uh, I was able to go over yesterday and uh, see the little miss, and I can uh, vouch that she is very happy and healthy. So congratulations to Eric and his wife uh, on the safe arrival. Yay! Yay! Can just do his prepper right there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm Alan. I'm a first responder security expert and overall safety nerd. I'm Scott, a first responder from Ontario. I like learning things and I worry about our fragile infrastructure. Not to say I told you so, but this week has been a good demonstration of that. <laughs> Absolutely. I am Brad. I'm from Eastern Ontario. Consider myself a part time amateur prepper who's constantly trying to better myself. And if you want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t shirt, worn tonight by Jeff. And the super cool tactical Velcro patch, you can get those both at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. If you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. We also want your feedback, good, bad, or otherwise, or if there's just a topic you want us to cover, you can send emails to feek at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, we have some foundational content for you this episode. Uh, yeah. Still written by Eric, right? <laughs> yeah, well, oh, really? he's here in spirit. That's right. Uh, we're going to start off with some recent news, update our personal preps, and we'll get into the main topic, which tonight is basics of prepping. So news first. I got nothing. So um, considering the whole – sorry, did you have anything, Al? Nope, sorry. I said I got nothing. Okay. My, my name's still um, in the show notes, but I didn't put anything in. Okay. So I've, I've got a couple. Um, uh, as I'm sure everybody in Ontario is aware of the storm that went through uh, last Saturday. So there's an article about a uh, prepper, I'm sure, uh, who lives in Manatek on the outskirts of Ottawa. And he basically, um, his house is basically a microgrid. He's got um, some Tesla backup batteries, solar panels, you name it. Um, and he opened his house to his neighbors to allow them to come in and charge their their phones, their laptops, do whatever. Um, so I thought that was great. Brad uh, made a mention that apparently there was also another gentleman who was basically driving around in his truck with a generator in the back and offering to power anybody's fridges or freezers for a couple hours and was just moving on down the street. So um, kudos to everybody who help their neighbors. Um, that's that's what we're here for. So, um, it is the Canadian way. Them. Good for hmm? them. That is the Canadian absolutely. way. Good for them. Yep. Absolutely. Canadian way. Yep. 
So out of the uh, out of the storm, uh, there were three confirmed tornadoes throughout Ontario, two EF ones in London, and an EF two in Uxbridge. Uh, Ottawa, while their damage was severe, uh, it was not a tornado. It was determined to be straight-lined wind damage, but the wind speed was equivalent to an EF2 tornado. So, tomato, tomato, whatever, it, it, it doesn't matter, tornado or not, there was extensive uh, damage. Very extensive uh, the damage. last report from Hydro One uh, still reports 20,000 without power. Uh, most of that is Eastern Ontario. Ottawa Hydro still says they have about 12,000 uh, without power. So that one in Ottawa, was that the one that they called the derecha or whatever? Are that the new word, the term? Yeah, they, they called yeah. the whole thing the derecho or however you pronounce it. Yeah, which is just a, basically a straight line extended length windstorm is basically the long and the short of it. So for the sake of having unusual names. Well, I think it's yeah. Spanish for like right hand, isn't it? Like, you know, it's Izquierda and Derecha. I think, or is that misspelled? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm not sure. So something I'm hoping to um, be able to post a little bit, I've started it this week, just to be quick, is, is if I'm aware of any weather updates or anything that, that people need to be aware of, I'll try and throw something in the notes. So anybody in... Southern, Central Ontario, probably over to Eastern Ontario at some point. Quebec, I'm sure the Northern U.S., New York, Michigan's probably going to be in this. Uh, for a heat wave, uh, Monday, Tuesday, at least in Ontario, we're going to have uh, temperatures in the uh, low 30s and the humidex in the high 30s to low 40s for at least Monday, Tuesday. So, you know, check on your, your elderly neighbors or your elderly family. Make sure they're fine. And I know we should never have to say this, but we do, and we have to keep repeating it. For God's sakes, don't leave your animals in your vehicle, especially in this kind of temperature. So, If you uh, are tempted try. to leave your, your animal in your vehicle in hot weather, call me. I will come <laughs> over, hit you very hard, and take your animal. Well, there's a and special I'll, place uh, to help for that, yeah. yeah. Um, so going off uh, the, the weather story, I had a really interesting article talking about how much damage actually happened. So all hydro was saying they've had to replace 325 hydro poles that were damaged by a straight line wind. Typical year, they replaced 340. So the, in the last week, they've had to do a year's work. Um, they were, Done most Which is of about that. three months for people who are non-union. <laughs> I was going to make a government efficiency joke at the, at the end of this, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, the only reason they were able to do that is because it was localized and they were able to call in a lot of favors from friends and neighbors, um, i.e. hydro linemen from New Brunswick. Um, so just sort of showing the extent of damage after the fact. Um, and then I also had, uh, looking at sort of how many people a week later are still without power. Um, I'm going to add to total Jeff, just cause there's still a bunch in, uh, uh, sort of for the line that are without power. Um, and they are sort of, I think the total is about thousand and some of them are talking about it 
being a weeks long process where they're going to have to rebuild sections of the grid, like down near Tweed and stuff. Uh, so, hey, maybe we have 60,000 potential new listeners who are <laughs> hunkered around their, their phones listening. Yeah, could be. Anyway. Uh, as for myself, uh, what was it, 11 days ago, they uh, finished up with some latest firearms legislation coming into force. So naturally, uh, they just decided to not even take a full weekend off, and they announced that they're going to be uh, bringing in new firearms legislation starting on Monday. So... Yay, government. Yeah. Hang on to your hats. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, they're they're going to milk this one as long as they can. But yeah, it sounds like more restrictions coming in for firearms owners, you know, hunters, everything else. So uh, yeah, that should be uh, interesting to see what pops up uh, tomorrow. Okay. Uh, what have we done lately for preps? Uh, I sealed a whole bunch of uh, oatmeal. We bought a great big 50 bag of oatmeal into little mylar eggs. Uh, mostly went well. I might have left some of my oxygen absorbers out for a little too long for the last few bags. They didn't kind of vacuum down quite as well as I'd hoped. Um, and the nice thing is uh, ideas off people within our chat here about uh, or what I did wrong. I think I narrowed it down to. I need to figure out how to store raisins because apparently uh, they're a whole different thing because they're moist. Um, and then I played around with some uh, uh, little FRS calls just around here just to see what uh, what I could buck uh, my mag local uh, area, see how that went. So playing with some radio stuff. I wonder if you could uh, check in with um, Kellogg's because they seem to be able to put the raisins in the raisin bran. Uh, what is it, two scoops in every box? Seems to work out for them. <laughs> they're, covered in, they're covered in sugar and they have an expiry date. But, uh, well, first of all, did you get a response on the FRS radios? I'm actually kind of curious if anybody was listening. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it was initially, I, I gave one of my FRS radios to one of my uh, mag friends just to see if we could get between our places that aren't that far apart, but there's a fair, fair amount of topography and uh, leafy cover between it between now. So we're going to have to work, rework this a little bit. And the other thing with the raisins, I mean, they're already kind of dehydrated. So I guess the next step would be like freeze drying them or something. Like how would you get the excess moisture out of, out of those? Well, I think they're moist. Um, and that, that's the problem I was reading where you have a botulism issue because you can take out all the oxygen, but, an anaerobic bacteria doesn't care. They enjoy moisture and sugar. So, um, one thing I was reading said, you know, throw them in a in the oven or in a dehydrator to take that moisture content down even further. Um, or we just have to eat raisins faster. Yeah, I mean, could, could you also not just can them and keep them moist? That's where that anaerobic thing would come in as well, though. Yeah, but if they're like preserved like any other fruit, then I mean, it's how different would it be than grape preserves? Yeah, I was gonna say turn into raisin jam or something or grape jam yeah. for like a better term. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's plenty of sugar content. I don't know if there'd be enough acid content. We'll have to ask our house canning expert to see what she has to say. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I didn't get a whole lot of stuff done around here. Too busy working. Uh, the company I work for actually did a lot of running back and forth for Ottawa Hydro and Hydro One in the uh, Ottawa, eastern Ottawa area, I guess, towards Carlton Place and Smith Falls and whatnot and different uh, 
different equipment getting moved around from different stores to here and there. Uh, but I did buy a new book to add to my library, the uh, the Wood Gas Fires Bible. That After, explains uh, why Scott's here tonight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that explains it was, all. Uh, I think he, he has search engines in the show notes, and I think as soon as somebody mentions it, he shows up. <laughs> I was watching, uh, sorry, listening to uh, another podcast, and uh, it really got me thinking about a, a lot of different things, and one of those being, and well, the, the basics of the podcast was energy. And if we don't have fuel to run our generators, how are we going to do that? Well, Scott, sorry. I, I think Scott hit it right on the nose with the wood gasifier that I went and bought the book, and I'm going to start sourcing some parts, and I have some people in mind that will hopefully be able to help me build and put it all together and see how it works. So, Scott, the Back race up is on. One, one little step here. Other podcasts? Yes. Are you seeing other people? You cheater. Every afternoon. I have big. I have long drives here, here and there. I've run through all of our podcasts, most of the other CPP podcasts, so I've looked elsewhere for different ones. And, Look, if, uh, actually, if we're not enough for you, just, just say it. We can change. No, that's that's not true. We can't. That's what they all say. We could literally put out more episodes. Yeah, nothing, nothing more we can do what we're doing right now. No, no, no. It was a really good podcast. It was uh, Sean Ryan. Yeah, I was going to say that's the one I was going to ask you about because that was a good one. I like that. Yes, I I actually listened to it once. Pierre actually uh, uh, turned me on to to his podcasts, and uh, this last one. Uh, on the energy, he had shown me that one too and sent me a link to it. So I listened to it on the way to Kingston last week. And then I listened to it again on the way to Montreal uh, Thursday, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I figured, yeah, I'm going to make, I'm going to get that book and start looking for parts and pieces. And like I said, I have people in mind that can help me build it and put it all together and whatnot. So um, Scott, the race is on. Uh, Brandon, oh, so Scott's here. Let's ask the question. Brandon's asking, is the wood gas fire Bible on Amazon? Yes, it is. That's uh, where yes, I bought it, it from. It is. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Ben's, what's Ben's last name? Peterson. Peterson. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, just look under Ben Peterson. You probably find the uh, the wood gas fire Bible. I have a copy at home as well. So it's, uh, it's definitely a good read. Hey, Jeff. So, I also really didn't do a lot this week. Um, I went this afternoon to a uh, meet and greet with a uh, bunch of local preppers from my area. Uh, had some really good conversation, made some good contacts that uh, I'm sure I will be reaching out to in the near future for advice, ideas, suggestions on some things that I've, I'm working on in the background. Um, just, you know, really nice to, again, meet those those local people that you didn't know were there. So um, hopefully I can get in, uh, potentially maybe get one of them on, on a podcast here to talk uh, sometime in the future. Uh, they just recent, recently purchased a freeze dryer. We haven't talked about that. So I would like Ooh, to uh, see if maybe they'd be Ooh. interested in coming on sometime in the future once they kind of get working with it and get familiar with it. And so. Yeah, that'd be really and, cool. Cool. Wondering if they're uh, if they're that close. You guys aren't that far away. Wondering if they'll run some stuff for us. 
I'm sure if you pitch in for power and whatever, I don't know if there's any wear parts on those things or not, but maybe. Can you freeze dry raisins? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know you can, you can freeze dry coffee, that's for sure. So. And apparently, which I did not know, which was the first thing they did, you can freeze dry Skittles. And All apparently right. they are very good. Freeze-dried Skittles. Freeze yeah. Skittles. Yep. There's a little artisan around here that freeze-dries all sorts of candy. Um, and it's really texture and really tasty. So they take, like, gummy worms and freeze-dry them. And it's, it's really neat. Hmm. Wasn't this an episode of Friends? Oh, no, that was a, that was a dehydrator. It was a food dehydrator. The, that one weird roommate that uh, Chandler had. No, just... Just me. Oh, yeah. He was a weird roommate. I remember that guy. Yeah. Kept dehydrating food. And, anyways. And so you just dropped a 90s reference. I was going to drop an 80s reference here in a second, but I don't know if anybody would even get that except for Scott, maybe. But anyway. Um, did we ever see the movie Pee Wee's Big Adventure? It's a Twice. cult classic. Yeah, yeah. It's a cult classic. It's a time, but I know the movie. Okay, so do you remember when there's a big fire and Pee Wee has to save all the animals and he's in the, in the animal shop and he keeps running back and he's running by the snakes and going, huh, later. And he gets he rescues the rabbits and he goes by the snakes and gives them a pass and goes back and, you know. Anyway, long story short, I was kind of like that with me in the greenhouse. So I had this greenhouse half built on a property for about the last three weeks and every time I walked by it, I was like, later. I just, I can't do deal with this right now. And I, you know, I'd, I'd walk by at the end of the night and be like, I don't want to deal with this because it, it just the instructions were horrible and everything else. Finally, I buckled down, got the greenhouse built, and uh, it actually went up fairly painlessly, except for the very last window, which was the one that opens and closes with heat. It's got a little beeswax shock in it. And that thing, I think I was almost ready to pitch it into the uh, the ocean at this point. But um, yeah, finally got it done, and we're happy it's there. So now we're going to start putting you know stuff in there. Hopefully, we'll extend the growing season a bit. Um, so that is good. And let's see here. I had the woodshed was what was actually holding the piece, pieces for the greenhouse. And so I couldn't do anything with the woodshed. Once the greenhouse is built, the woodshed is empty. So I was able to paint that. Get ready to put the uh, next season's batch of wood in there because I burned more than I ever have before. So I definitely want to overstock it this year. Um, so that's the next step for that. And now speaking of generators, as we're about to talk about those, um, I had this rinky dinky old $40 trailer I had set up for the generator that I was going to carry down to the pump house in case of power outages and run it back up and down the hill over the rocks and everything else. And it was basically running on two wheelbarrow wheels. Um, and every time it sat for too long, it would either go flat or bust a tube because of the rocks or plywood it was sitting on or whatever. And plus the eight, the generator is super heavy. So it'd keep on blowing out tires. And so I tried those solid foam ones and they blew out. They would they actually went flat and they wouldn't regain their shape. And then, um, so I finally gave up on this. Yeah, thing. but it's only flat on the bottom, Ian. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just pull really hard and it'll, the wheels will work <laughs> for like three quarters of the time and then go. Yeah. Anyway, but, uh, so I finally gave up. So I had a uh, old ATV trailer. I had to, I had basically beaten the crap out of the last five years. So I just turned that into the new generator trailer and bought myself a new ATV trailer for which is my farm tractor and uh, spent like a day kind of modifying the old, the, the old ATV trailer to hold the generator. And now it's like good for like, you know, off-road specials that like, you know, 12 foot boulders type of thing over no problem and everything else. So I can definitely get down to the pump house. The wheels shouldn't go flat and I'm a little, a little better peace of mind going for the, uh, the backup generator for the, the, uh, the water pump, which is the, the big weak spot in our, acreage right now because basically the 220 system uh for the water we're kind of hooped so that's what the big generator is for so long story short a little more reliability on that one 
And uh, then today was shearing day. So once again, I got a few friends around. We pretended to be farmers for the day. And uh, yeah, we're down to two alpacas. So I would almost call it like shearing hour. But nonetheless, it was still a good time. Um, yeah, got those two taken care of. And uh, yeah, just had a little bit of a get together with like-minded folks and made some good contacts. And that was that. I had to head off to work. So here I am. Uh, through this week, I didn't do a whole lot of um, prepping things. I did uh, run some maintenance on my generator after having run it for a couple of days last weekend. Uh, then this weekend, however, I did uh, actually went out and took a, a tracking course, which was a whole lot of fun. And that gave me an opportunity to actually camp for a couple of nights. So I shook out some kit, haven't you know slept in a tent in better part of two years. So it was uh, uh, it was nice to be able to go out do a little bit of solo camping and just kind of remember how much, how little I really need to, um, to get by for a weekend, um, which also gave me the opportunity to chat with some other local search and rescue people and kind of improve the network a bit. So that was, uh, that was my weekend. Awesome. All right. Well, I guess time to move on to the main topic. Scott. Oh my God. If you aren't already 1000% prepared, you're already dead. Just kidding. Uh, we just don't know it yet. Reasonable podcast. <laughs> we're the reasonable podcast. We don't freak out. Um, originally, we'd had a different uh, topic planned for this week, but considering the hundreds of thousands of people that have been without power for days and days after last week's big windstorms uh, in Ontario, Quebec, and uh, some friends in Alberta that were having some power issues, we figured we'd we should revisit some of the basics for the benefit of newer listeners uh, who may have realized the value in being able to look after yourself and your family's needs. Uh, some of our more involved listeners might find this stuff redundant, uh, but we all came here to learn and we'll ask those listeners to add some feedback on those lessons they've had from prepping and, uh, for the benefit of these newbies. The nice thing about prepping is it's not a petition. Well, we can both walk in. <laughs> normally you and I can both walk into a store and each buy one of whatever and it's not a big deal after things happen it becomes a competition um, <clears throat> if all of my neighbors have gardens and generators and firewood and full pantries when things go awry then we're all in a better position and I'm personally much happier and better off because they were prepared um, so there's really no problem in everyone getting prepared. Um, so if you're here as a list for the first time, we're guessing it's because you've realized that things don't always carry on exactly the way they have. For example, supply chains get interrupted, power isn't coming out of the wall, that kind of thing. Congratulations. You've accomplished the first step in prepping, which is shaking off that continuity bias. Uh, Ian, you first introduced me to that term when I started listening and interacting with the podcast. Once you realize that our infrastructure is fragile and you see that there are assumptions that we make about the world, uh, we can start doing the little things to help insulate ourselves from those bumps or consider a form of insurance. Prepping isn't about having bunkers. I'll let the panel really? disagree here. <laughs> Listen. Listen, you do yeah, not speak for the hole. entire panel. Yeah. <laughs> I just wish there was like a, a rock cutting lightsaber I could actually like carve into the bedrock and like, you know, actually do like a nice solid. Yeah, but 
it's not going to Oh, happen. wouldn't that be nice? Oh, I tell <laughs> like, you. When you're done with it, can you send it this way? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, prepping is much more about having gardens, pantry, generator, knowing your neighbors, that kind of thing. Um, I watched a news report about a guy who was proudly burning wood in the bottom, like the tank section. I assume the propane tank out. Barbecue to cook for his family and his neighbors. Kudos to him. Great MacGyvering. Um, but I'm sure his formerly nice barbecue is kind of trashed. I'd sooner be the guy with the spare tank of propane in the shed and the intact barbecue that can still feed my family and neighbors. So, or a uh, burning barbecue charcoal grill. exactly with that in mind we thought we'd cover some of the simple things that people can do um be it for another power outage a blizzard anything uh we all that way can be the neighborhood hero with the intact barbecue so one of the topics that obviously is going to be of great interest to an awful lot of people these days um, so we figured we'd dive into generators a little bit um, and sort of talk about them. Uh, so there's portable, there's uh, the built-in standby ones, on-demand automatic. They're lovely. Today we're going to talk more about the simple portable ones on wheels with extension cords, that kind of thing. Uh, you can get them at most hardware stores. I imagine they're probably sold out anywhere you need them these days. Um, <laughs> I imagine you're probably moving a lot of them around also, Brad. <laughs> um, the, so uh, one of the first things was, to talk about is... Sorry, go ahead, Brad. There was a, a home hardware in Ottawa on Bank Street. They closed the Friday before the storm at 4, knowing the storm was coming. They opened Saturday for three hours, sold 28 generators, and closed the store. That's all they were open for. That's all they sold. The store itself wow. opened on Monday morning with no power. I was booked to go in and pick up loads for them to deliver. Um, they had no power, no phones to even call my company to say, cancel the order. They, The store is so new, it did not have its emergency backup generator installed yet. The guys were coming from Southern Ontario somewhere under contract from Home Hardware Canada to come and put it in. It just so happened Monday they were supposed to be there to put it in. We had the storm on Friday. The worst part about that when is when you go into like Home Depot in, in the heat of the moment there and you buy a generator like that. Not all generators come with enough oil to run it and everything else. So a lot of these people will, will grab the generator, go home, think they're good. They'll crack it open. They're like... Please add 500 you know milliliters of, of 10W30 oil. Ah, oh, I gotta go back to the store and it's closed. It's like so like yeah, there's, there's obviously layers of, of preps when it comes to that stuff. It's like uh, rule it's number one: RTFI. Or if they don't even read the directions and they just go ahead and start it and wonder why 15 minutes later it won't run. <laughs> it's, it's it's that's why really rule number one is read the instructions. <laughs> <laughs> And that's that's the whole point. When you can get this stuff ahead of time, you know, as opposed to rushing to the, the now closed store, you're in a better position, right, guys? It's almost, it's almost like a test your gear thing. <laughs> yeah. So what, we have to yeah. do that. Yeah, turns out we, we yeah. should get on to that. Damn. So when you're looking at generators, one of the the biggest things is the wattage. Most circuits in your house. Picture your standard two vertical slits, little 
face ground at the bottom, uh, run at 15 amps. That's a, a typical circuit in your house. This circuit breaker, the fuse is gonna read 15 amps. Uh, if you've ever run your toaster and coffee maker on the same circuit and trip the breaker, it's because you're drawing more than that 15 amps, the breaker did its job. A uh, typical hairdryer is likely rated about 1500 watts. Um, it'll run smoothly on a 15 amp circuit. Uh, likewise, 15 old style incandescent 100 watt light bulbs will draw about that same amount of power, 1500 watts. So the wattage rating of the generator tells you how much power it can put out. A little generator the size of a toaster is not going to produce as much power as one towed behind a truck on its own built-in trailer. So, that's uh, true. And I guess if people need a quick uh, calculation, uh, on how to figure out how the how much power outage or how much power usage each item has, they don't always, you know, show how many watts it, it draws. Uh, in which case, you use what they call Ohm's law. Might be you know elementary for a lot of guys, uh, but again, volts times volts times amps equals watts. So it will give you usually two of the three items on the back of the appliance, and you can usually figure out how many watt watts you need from there. So just something else. As quick uh, mention there, uh, you mentioned the the old incandescent light bulbs, which are pretty much getting phased out. The reason we always talk about the LEDs is because the the draw of the amperage and, and the wattage is so much lower that you can run a heck of a lot more lights on a you know, given size generator than you know the old incandescents. So it actually makes a little more sense to have LEDs in the house already in place. This is my two cents on that. Uh, absolutely. I mean, running one old incandescent, you could probably run, what, 12 or 14 LEDs for the, the exact same expenditure. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Well, even changing out like, well, remember that uh, stand-up work light? I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago there. Uh, it was a thousand watts of draw uh, for the two work lights. I took it down to 28 watts with two LED replacement bulbs. So it was like, it got just as much uh, brightness out of it. So it was pretty good. That's awesome that you can replace the, the halogen bulbs with LED. That's a mm -hmm. nice move instead of having to buy a whole new lamp. So to figure out how much power you're going to need is a, kind of our first step. Uh, keeping you know one bar fridge and a cell phone charged is going to take a whole lot less power than two fridges, a deep freeze, a microwave, oh, two more deep freezes, a well pump, two sub pumps. So we'll use that ohm's law and try and add up all the wattages of everything you intend to run on your generator to get that ballpark number uh, remember you don't have to run everything at once a deep freeze will keep cold for hours and hours if it's nice and frozen unopened you can just unplug it plug in the fridge whatever and they'll both be happy uh, obviously it's more work but that's what we're doing and um, most the size of your generators. I mean, unless you've got a very small, like a 1000 watt or something, uh, you'll be able to run your fridge and freezer. Um, as long as they're not like 40 year old things that take a thousand watts just to start up. And I, you'll get into the, you know, the starting watts versus running watts thing. But I mean, you don't need a, a humongous sized generator. Um, you just need something that's going to do its job and you're not going to overtax it. Yep. So most of the portable retail generators are in the 1500 watt, 10,000 watt range. So 1500 watt 
Think of it as a single circuit. So that should be fine to run your fridge, uh, that kind of thing. But if you're trying to run more things with that little generator, you're going to have a lot of problems. Some of the home standby units tend to have uh, higher wattages, but we're not really going to talk about them because they're kind of the core built-in gas line. Love that. Not really what we're covering. Uh, voltage is also a concern. Some of the smaller units typically do the 110 volt that your house runs on, uh, but certain appliances may require 220 volt. My well pump needs 220 volt, so a small uh, generator wouldn't be able to, to run my well, which is something that's important. So that's have to bear that in mind for your choice of generator. Um, Jeff, you have alluded to starting watts versus running watts. Uh, certain appliances, typically anything with an electric motor, needs that higher wattage to start the motor. Um, if you've ever been in a house with like an old bed that had a big draw, and when it, you hear it kicking on, the lights dim for a sec, that's that extra draw. To the, um, most generators are made to, to handle a little bit extra. So those two numbers, uh, they'll do the starting watts because it's the bigger number and it sounds more impressive. And then the uh, the running watts that it can keep going uh, for that continuous service right, while it's up and running. Yeah, I guess the other thing to keep in mind too is that nobody says you have to run your generator constantly. You can always run the generator for a few hours, get your freezer refrozen, um, and your phone's charged or whatever else you need to do, and then shut it off, and then wait a few hours, then start it back up again. Because of course, if you run the, the generator constantly, you're going to be running through your gas supplies a lot faster too. That's oh, exactly gosh. what I did last weekend. That's for I was... my thunder there, Ian. I had that for. Oh them. no! Sorry, man. Oh no! Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll just touch on that now. It's exactly what Ian said. Um, a lot of your smaller uh, generators are not designed to run 24 seven. Um, they're, they're basically, they basically have the same motors, your lawnmower, your snowblower, your rototiller, stuff like that. Um, and, and they're just not built robust enough to run 24 seven. Uh, I do exactly what Ian said. I run on a five to one principle. My power's out. I'll run for an hour. I'll run my generator for an hour. My fridge is plugged in. My freezer's plugged in. Um, you know, if I want to see what's going on in the world, I'll, I'll turn my TV on with my cable box or, or I'll plug my, um, my internet router in. I'll do that while the generator's running. Um, I do that for an hour, shut it off for five hours, and then um, go back, run it for an hour. Um, as, as Ian said, A, you're going to run through all of your fuel and then then what um and and they're just they're not designed to run 24 7 like that and you'll just end up having more problems down the road well and alluding to that when you read the the manual for a lot of small engines generators your snowblower that kind of thing it talks about doing an oil change every 100 running hours compare that yeah, to your so car have where yeah, compare that to your car where, you know, it's 8,000 kilometers and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. Well, especially they don't even have oil yeah. filters, right? They, they don't have any means to, to keep things uh, on, the, on the clean side, right? Yeah. 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 So. yeah. And, uh, and, so, and again, that's, you're right, there's no, there's no filter there and there's no, um, all of them are air cooled. There's no water cooled. You get into the bigger, like the home standby generators, which we're not talking about, but they're all, they're all, uh, or at least for the most part, are water cooled. 
So that heat's going to build up. And what happens when that heat builds up? Your oil breaks down a lot faster. Yeah. So hey, uh, can, can we jump other... into this question from the um, um, YouTube chat um, from Wellsby? Because I'm assuming boy, it's that one. That's the one. Um, <laughs> good Lord, please don't do this. Um, so <laughs> here, here, and here's why. Um, when, so, you, uh, when you run a double-ended mail core extension cord off the generator into an outlet, it does energize everything in that circuit, which, it, and it's just that circuit. So it wouldn't even be your whole house, but it's just that circuit. Um, the challenge with that is you also run power back into the grid from that. And that means that the people that are working on your power lines to restore power are now put at risk. And if you don't like how long it's taking to get your power back, wait till one of them goes to the hospital and then see how quickly they work. Or how quickly you have the police come to your door. Well, you'll have a visitor yeah. anyway. Yeah, it, you're like, it's, it's also incredibly illegal, exceptionally dangerous. Um, that's like... That's second okay. only to actually running your generator indoors. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm actually just going to play devil's advocate just for one second. I'm just going to ask a question only because I don't know. Um, if you take your home main main circuit, right, your 100 amp circuit breaker, and flip it off, and then do your double-ended thing, assuming that that's what he's talking about, uh, that should still isolate it from the grid, would it not? No, because the neutral will still run back. Oh, well, there you go. So I did not know. Learn something new every day. I have heard of that situation. Somebody made a double-ended mail cord. Um, when they wired up the outlet on the wall outside, it went to another one on the inside that was an outlet as well. It was specifically designed just to be that. It did not have any other wires running to the panel. So you could plug the generator outside and plug something on the inside and have power inside instead of getting one of those, like I have that reliance through the wall thing or the, the whole home hookup, whatnot. That's the only time I've ever heard of it. And an electrical inspector even said, that makes sense to me. It, well, it, it does make sense. There's actually, um, Jeff actually put it up, I don't know, a while back after I, I think back last year when we had another power outage and I ran my generator. And there is a pre-made inspected approved and insurance friendly probably keyword there insurance friendly um solution for that and i think jeff said you can get it at home depot and it's it, it's got the 30 amp connection on the outside and an octopus plug on the inside yeah. so i have um, i have one of those it's from a company called reliance i bought mine from canadian tires yeah. about 120 dollars. it's yeah. 30 amp on the outside this one though was just a regular 110 on the outside yeah, of the that, house and a 110 on the inside me. of the house I, so I'm, I'm glad the electrical inspector thinks that's okay. I would love to know what his insurance company had to say about it. Yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't be going down that road, but hey. Yeah. So yeah. Melissa asked too, uh, the Generax, are they water-cooled? Is that what you guys were getting at? Depends on the size. Uh, the, the, the larger stand-at-home generators um, will be, uh, be water-cooled. Any, obviously, anything portable, um, even the, the smaller, uh, maybe six, seven kilowatt uh, Home standby ones will be air cooled, but anything anything above that, the the engine's going to be big enough that you're going to have to be uh, it's going to have to be water cooled. And the other thing that I I forgot to mention, um, which I think is a very important uh, thing when we're talking about uh, generators, especially the portable generators we're talking about. Um, yes, you can get them in different sizes, but clearly understand 
the bigger the size, the heavier it is. And if you have a requirement to get it in and out of a vehicle or to be able to move it and you need to do that by yourself, don't get a 10,000 watt generator because you're going to be in the hospital with a hernia. Or um, you have to put it on the ATV trailer. Or, or <laughs> put it on the ATV trailer, yes. Um, so be cognizant of, of that, that if you need to be able to move it and you need to be able to move it yourself, you've got to buy one that you can move. Obviously, that makes sense. And the higher the fuel burn yeah. too, right? So if you over if you overkill the generator, and overkill is the best kill, don't get me wrong, but uh, there's no sense if you only have like a 2,000 watt requirement and you get a 20,000 watt generator and you burn through your gas 10 times as fast, there's not much point, right? It's, it's just silly at that point. Yeah, and, and, and we'll get into that a little bit when Scott talks about, uh, or when we talk about the different types of generators and how one's much more uh, efficient for that than the other. Cool. Um, a, uh, I mean, a 10,000-watt generator on wheels is probably 200 or 250 pounds. Um, a three to 4,000-watt is probably closer to 100 pounds. And when you get down to, like, the little suitcase ones, I mean, they're obviously much more manageable, but they're sort of that 1,500-watt range, typically. Yeah, my, my 3,000 uh, champion is 85 pounds. Nice. Yep, nice. I, I was going to say my, my 3,500 is about that, that too. Yeah. And, uh, yep, that's me. Makes a really good point that they're louder too. Like the bigger the generator, yes. the louder they are, um, yep. which is absolutely accurate. And, uh, you know, even if you're not taking, you know, super nerdy things like operational security into, um, into consideration, it's annoying. Um, you know, we had probably 40 generators running in our little town, like like our neighborhood. Um, most of them were running all day and all night, and it was like it was loud enough, even though there was no traffic. Um, it was it was enough to be it was enough that you noticed it. So, um, well, that's what as much as you need is as much as you need is good. More than you need is probably not good, uh, with, with the exception of those little like Honda inverter types, because those those run really really quietly. Well, they also run down when you're when you when your draw goes down. So, like with the Honda EI series, yeah, if you don't or if you're not using power, it automatically it says cycles down, which is great and yeah, super quiet. Well, nice. we we were going to discuss that further down, but we've jumped into oh. that, which is the inverter versus a regular generator. Um, so, my three thousand watt is an inverter, as Ian says it 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 throttles itself up and down depending on the load you put on it. So, a you're saving fuel. Um, B, you can stand around it and carry on a conversation at full speed. Um, most of the normal, uh, conventional generators run at 3,600 RPM and they run a standard 3,600 RPM and they put out whatever their maximum allotment is. So if you've got an 8,000 watt generator, it's putting out 8,000 watts, whether you've got a hundred watts plugged into it or, or 7,000 um it's still putting out the same amount so if you if you're not going to use that much you're just wasting fuel yeah i think the reason the uh, the champion types like the screaming demons there they uh, they have to spin at 3600 rpm in order to maintain the, the hertz right that's what they're yes. trying to go for is yeah. is by spinning the magnets around at a certain speed they get a certain hertz uh 
uh, frequency on the on the the power settings. Yep. So, yeah, they need Netflix. yeah. That's and and you're right that 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 gets them the sixty hertz cycle. Um, that's another beauty of the inverter generators is your the generator produces twelve volts and then the inverter in inverts it obviously that's why it's called an inverter to uh 120 uh it is much more of a stable um electricity you, if you watch they call them sine waves pure sine wave modified sine wave um inverter generators are as close as you're going to get to a pure sine wave um they are much easier on the the compressors and and all that stuff in your fridges and your freezers um they're much easier on your your sensitive electronics your laptops your tvs that kind of stuff uh the conventional generators have more of just a an up and down an up sine wave straight across that drops down instead of doing a a loop of a gentle up and a gentle down so that hard hit to get it up there and then the drop off is uh is really hard on your equipment so you're saying the power is dirty yeah. it's dirty power <laughs> Very, very dirty. Dirty power. <laughs> All right, carry on. I won't, I won't derail the uh, conversation. Uh, in terms of the fuel types for generators, we sort of alluded to it. Gasoline is your typical one. Propane, probably a close second. There are generators that are dual or even tri-fuel uh, and, you know, with settings can run on different fuels. Uh, they'll have different wattage ratings for the different fuels. A diesel VW Golf with a similar gas tank to the gasoline version is going to drive a lot farther because diesel has more energy density. Please don't put diesel into your gasoline engine or vice versa. Uh, they're different equipment. So diesel has more energy density than gasoline that has more than propane, has more than natural gas, that has more than wood gas. So generator on different fuels will produce more depending on how much density you're, you're feeding to it. Um, so if we're talking about a typical generator running on gasoline that we're going to fill from a jerry can, right? We want the generator off, we want it cool. Um, it is more problematic gasoline storing propane. Uh, we talk about fuel rotation in here a lot. Alan did a reaction of that uh, last week and what we did for preps. Uh, so in terms of rotation, we want to use that old gas first, so pour that into our vehicles and then refill the can with fresh gasoline uh, and then release stabilizer. Um, so it's one of the chemicals that uh, helps absorb water and sort of keeps the gasoline from separating to different elements because it's not one pure homogenous liquid is actually component there. We want it to separate. Um, so it's kind of a pain about tweak gas or work, use those jerry cans and, you know, them into your car or your TV or whatever, and then take them to the gas refill versus just driving up, filling your vehicle and driving off. But because gas is perishable, that's why we need to rotate it. Um, you know, a two-year-old can in your shed is probably going to be really hard on your generator's engine. That'd be extra bad if you're very dependent on that generator right now um so that's the, the thing that we keep in mind and it just kind of becomes a habit really is that a fair description yeah and and on on top of that uh something sometimes a lot of people forget is 
they'll maybe rotate their fuel, but they won't change or rotate the gas that's in the tank of the generator. You, it's only the, the gas that's in the tank of the generator is only going to last as long as the gas that's in your jerry can. So if you're not keeping a jerry can for more than four months, five months, you shouldn't leave the fuel in your generator for any longer than that. Either um, run it, run it through and you, you should be running it. I mean, like we say, always test your equipment. I start and run my generators every month. Uh, I'm sure pretty well everybody else here would do the same. Um, but you, you also have to be cognizant that if that fuel has been sitting in your, uh, your generator's tank for a long, long time and you haven't changed it out, chances are very good when you need it, it's not going to start. Well, I think that's where a lot of people run into problems, right? They, they buy the generator, they get it set up, and they just walk away from it. And then when the time comes, they expect it to, to run as new, but it's not going to happen. But uh, that's why I, for aftermarket stuff with the Honda, you can just pour it out, literally, because you can lift the generator up and uh, just empty the gas out. But the Champion, when I end up installing like an extra big fuel line, <clears throat> it's easy to remove. And then I basically just, yeah, take it right off, uh, right before the carburetor drain the whole tank out just to, to rotate the entire tank. And then also you don't want to leave gas in the carburetors for most of these things because then those come up the carburetor too. So ideally you have a fuel shut off. You let the carburetor run dry and then drain the tank later. Yeah. Unless you like, uh, uh, yep. That's me who says I have so many power outages. The gas in my generator stays fresh. Yep, Still rotating gas. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the brakes. Yeah, rotating it. Yeah. That would suck. My, my but, first uh, car was like that. You, you know, you generate so much oil. Never had to change it. I just had to keep adding it. Yeah, that's, that's fair. It's <laughs> not the way to do it, right? Yeah. Actually, before we get going again, always here, had uh, fresh oil. Wellsby's asking Scott. Uh, he's mentioned you were talking about an old truck for gasification. Did you have any success with that? Oh, I, I mean, I, I have to convince my, my boss. To get an idea. Uh, the chief financial the officer. Financial <laughs> officer has to agree that, you know, the 1960s or 70s uh, carbureted pickup truck is a good investment for us. So we're, we're not quite there yet. So we, we need to, well, have a few more disasters and see if that'll convince, uh, convince <laughs> said financial officer. Keep pushing. Just got to wait for the uh, the flaming guitar <laughs> times and then you'll, you'll probably get an older vehicle. No problem then. <laughs> weld on some spikes and stuff that's right get some leather on you know anyway. um, so talking about shopping for generators one of the things they advertise is the runtime uh, typically they'll describe it as how many hours the generator will run on a full tank running at 50% load the car analogy being if you're driving uphill i.e. hover your load you're going to bur burn more fuel if you're driving downhill you're burning less consider 50% an equal component of those two different cars driving on flat ground I you can sort of make a comparison between the generators uh, for you know if that 20 liter tank buys you eight hours great if your needs you know the generator with the tank will run eight hours then all of a sudden your fuel is gonna last twice as long right so um, that's what that means um, We've started talking about getting power into your house. Um, Alan, why can't we just run the generator in that house? Carbon monoxide bad. <laughs> 5138. 
And that's going to be CO very bad. That's going to be the shortest description ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was totally expecting a giant rant, but yeah, I guess that's an excellent it, Listen, it, if you are brand new to the Canadian Prepper podcast and you've never heard of me talk about carbon monoxide before, go back to any of the last 118 episodes in which I discuss carbon monoxide at length. This show's running long. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> Uh, we've already talked about not putting power back into the grid. Uh, double-ended mail cord will kill people. Um, extension cords are designed in a way so that the power is protected and the exposed metal is the part that receives the power. It's done that way intentionally. Uh, if, if you're running a system where you have your nice generator outdoors and you're running extension cords in your house, uh, bear in mind you're going to need some heavier gauge cords if you're having heavier load. If you have one cord coming in that's running eight different appliances, there's a lot more amperage running through that. Um, so picture one of those heavy-duty 12-gauge cords that can handle 20 amps versus that light-duty 16-gauge lamp cord that, you know, it just is a, an extension to charge your phone with. Um, that power demand is really important. Uh, into uh, one of previous houses and the owners had had some lovely incandescent Christmas lights up all in series. There were probably five or six chains, um, probably well more than the manufacturer's recommendation. And the single extension cord that was feeding gets too hot at a touch. There was so much amperage running through that white duty cord that uh, it was very problematic. Um, you will notice those cords are being overheated. Um, the, the conductors inside them will actually start to twist. So when you start seeing kind of waves in your extension cord, it generally means that you have overpowered that cord. You've overheated it. You've likely done some damage to that cord inside. It's time to throw it out and get yourself a heavier one. Um, the heavy-duty 12-gauge cords go on sale. I checked on sale this particular week at Canadian Tire, but typically every other week, I'd say they're on sale. Um, so depending on the setup you're picturing, you know, if you have one or two of those cords coming into the house from your generator, you know, one going to the kitchen to feed your fridge, your deep freeze, you know, another going down uh, stairs to the basement, great. Um, you know, you just have several of those heavy cords run, trying to run it all off uh, one single light cord. Um, during good times, it's a whole lot easier to have a, you know, if you want to just build a little piece that you can put in a sliding patio door or a sliding window, that's easy to seal up, that the cord can pass through, uh, you know, picture a piece of wood, stripping a little slot where you put the cord in, you close the window, the storm stays outside, or comes in, you're, you're all set. Um, you know, like it's a simple DIY way of doing it. Uh, Jeff, did you want to talk about uh, um, yeah? Circuits? Well, I, I mean, as as Ian mentioned, there's that, um, um, and and Brad mentioned the same thing. The the Reliance, those other companies that make it, um, Canadian Tire has it, Home Depot has it. I would imagine Lowe's, uh, a lot of them have it, and it's basically a uh, what they call just basically it's a through the wall kit. There's a, a box on the outside that you connect your generator to, a small tube with the wires goes through the wall, 
and on the inside you have a six prong um, outlet connector that you can plug uh, several items into. Um, the only thing, and I don't know if, if uh, anybody who set this up ran into that problem, but um, it, and I don't want to confuse anybody, and, and I want to be very clear, if you're unsure, talk to an electrician or somebody who is knowledgeable on electricity. You don't want to make a mistake with something like this. Um, so the, the circuit that uh, control panel runs on a, a heavy cord with a four plug prong on it. And, and I, I know it's confusing. I don't know if you guys can see this. So that is the three prong connector that my generator works on, but it requires a four prong cord to plug into the Reliance box. I didn't realize that. I put the box in, I bought the four prong cord. I'm ready to go. First time power goes out, fire up the generator, go to plug it in, realize that my generator isn't big enough and it only has a th the three prong 110 connector. So I had to buy this adapter through um, Facebook Marketplace. Uh, stupid part was, um, it was a bit during COVID. Uh, I bought it from, sorry, no, um, I did not buy it through Facebook. And it was like, anyways, I can't remember who I bought it through, um, but they wouldn't allow me to come and pick it up. They had to ship it. I bought it from a place that was an hour and a half drive from me and it took eight days for Canada Post to deliver it. So uh, go figure that. It's it's just basically a connector that, that allows you, like I say, to have the three prong on your into your generator to hook onto the four prong cord that goes into that box. Um, if your generator already has the four prong plug, depending on the wattage of your generator. Some of them have the three. If they're smaller, some of them have the four. Uh, some of them, and this is where it can, can get confusing, and I say make sure you you are right and you know what you're up to. Um, a lot of the bigger generators that have the four prong are 120 and or 110 and 220 or 240. You've got to make sure that your, your switch is on the 120 side because you're only having the individual plugs on the inside and if you try and run 220 through that really bad things are going to happen so um if you're unsure if you're if i've confused you in any way talk to an expert fair enough uh maintenance items i guess uh, in order to stockpile ahead of time as well uh somebody mentioned i think jeff did you make a list of this stuff here to Sorry, what do you mean? Oh, uh, sorry, it was for me. I, I think you jump, oil. jumped ahead a little there, Jeff, or uh, Ian. Okay, sorry, I thought you guys were all done there. Oh, carry on. <laughs> no, no, we, <laughs> we got lots to talk about. Okay, fair um, enough. One of the other options uh, is having an electrician wire in dedicated circuits. It tends to be fairly expensive. Um, another option is uh, single uh, single circuit manual transfer switches. Uh, there's a link in there for the easy generator switch. Picture a two-gang electrical box. So that's a you know square, maybe four inch by four inch. Half the front of uh, front of it is a male plug, uh, so you can plug your powered female end of the extension cord into it. The other part is a switch where you can choose between, i.e., utility uh, or generator power or an off option. These uh, are designed to be hardwired 
entered into uh, dedicated circuits in your house. There's certain things that are by design made only hardware. Your furnace is a perfect example. There is no plug to take out of the wall to stick into your generator's extension cord. By adding a manual transfer switch, you choose where the power uh, that downstream appliance gets its power, either utility or from the mail plug. So you can't send it back upstream and add power to the, the system that way. Um, look around your house because yeah, you can't unplug your furnace. So if you don't do something ahead of time, uh, you're gonna be knackered even if you have a lovely generator. Uh, another option that uh, I have is called the Generlink. It's, it cost me more than my generator did, but it's way cheaper than rewiring the whole house. Uh, it's installed by an electrician between the meter and the meter box as a plug in it that allows my generator to feed power into the main line of the house. Won't allow power back out to the grid and it's a whole home surge protector. Does about 40 amps so it can't do my entire house, but that's more than my generator can make. So that's just fine. Uh, I turn off the individual circuit I don't need and I can still run my fridges, my furnace, my well pump, my water heater, whatever I need. Uh, I went and labeled my circuit breaker with little green dots on the important circuits just to make it easier to flashlight. Um, my turned on, I, the oven would way too much power, but as a safety thing, because the sparker um, comes in, it's kind of, uh, I consider that important safety feature. Have uh, you ever had to asking. use it yet, Scott? Yeah, no, I've uh, used it a couple of times. It works uh, works quite well. I, uh, I like it. The new version that has a Bluetooth feature, I kind of wish I had that because then it would tell okay. your phone when the powers come back on. Uh, I have to go and sort of check the little lights on it to see if uh, there's utility power or not. Well, I saw that Amazon... Sorry, go ahead, Ian. Uh, Wells, we asked if there's any uh, books you'd recommend on the subject. Uh, which for generators, Wellsby, or for uh, how to, how to run to your house? I think for generators and and or interconnection. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't. So I far, don't it's been learning by doing. I yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've I've got the, I guess if you want to call it the the one two three basics of electricity, and I. It's a book I bought it at uh, Home Depot, and it it more or less covers how to how to wire circuits and stuff like that. It's your basics. I mean, it's not a it's not by any means an advanced book, but for the most part, anything you need to do will get you uh, will get you what you need. So troubleshoot troubleshoot a lot and give you basic circuitry. Yes. Yeah, I've got something like that. My dad has the old Reader's Digest big like rectangular book hardcover huge thing weighs a ton loves that thing you should also be aware that it, at least in ontario it's uh it's illegal to do any electrical work on property that you don't own unless you have a contractor's like an electrical contractor license um so that would be uh, another thing to consider yeah everything's illegal in ontario though yeah, pretty much. Yeah. All right. We yeah. got next. So, so um, uh, Wellsby asked. He also asked, "Is his main concern is his well pump?" Um, I will tell you what I did. Whether it's uh, it's legal or not, I 
I'm pretty confident it is. Anyways, um, mine is a is a 120 or 110, uh, just regular um, well pump. And it was plumbed into, obviously hardwired right into the electrical system. Um, I obviously shut all the electrical off and switched it to a, uh, a heavy-duty plug. So it's a plug-in. So it plugs into the, the, the same circuit. Uh, but when the power's out, I just simply unplug it from that, plug it into a properly uh, sized and capable extension cord, and run that off my generator. Yeah, so that would be a perfect example where doing a manual switch uh, on that 110 circuit would mean you could plug in your 110 well pump from your generator just by plugging in a simple extension cord. My well pump, my sump pumps, my furnace fan, and my hot water tank fan are all plug into the wall so I can I can unplug everything plug it into extension cord that runs over to that reliance uh, through the wall thing that plugs into my generator the, uh, generator on the outside and I am good to go nice uh, so I'm going to touch on all the different plug types and uh, all of those time wife <laughs> Home Depot 123 books are fantastic for this because they show you the little pictures when you describe a plug most of us picture two parallel lines, one's a little bit longer, a little frowning face under. That is your standard 15 amp plug, right? If you pull your stove out from the wall, hidden behind it, you're gonna find a much bigger plug that does a whole lot more voltage and amperage. And it's completely different, so you can't accidentally plug your toaster into it. They're done that way by design, right? So the voltage and the amperages uh, work that way. So if you're looking at your generator, a smaller one will have those standard wall plugs you're used to. When you get into the bigger ones, they start having the fancier ones like, uh, uh, you know, with four prongs instead of three. Three typically means 110 volt, four typically means uh, the 20. They can be higher amperage, like Jeff was showing with that twist. Um, Right, so that they have different features, right? Big heavy cord that's running from your generator back to your head to your RV. Um, you know, it's heavier wire, heavier plug sense. Great to shop for those extension cords um, or adapters for RV dealers and the RV section in different hardware. So uh, that's probably somewhere where hopefully you get it without having to wait eight days in the mail, Jeff. Be prepared to pay a little bit more in those RV stores, though. Oh, I found that Amazon and Home Depot were cheaper than the RV dealerships in my area by a lot. Yeah, yeah. I did that that this plug adapter that I got. I couldn't even find it anywhere. I went to like four different RV places, you know, Home Depot, all of those places. Nobody had it. I the only place I could get it was online, and um, I luckily found this one place in. In Ontario, that had it. Everywhere else, I was ordering from the states, and I knew I was waiting weeks. Oof. Um, I can, noisy, I can definitely understand that. <laughs> uh, no, noisy genders. It's just, it's a thing. I mean, you alluded to it, Alan, when the entire neighborhood is running on it. Uh, we did have a little discussion offline where people who are receiving noise complaints from neighbors during the power outages 
Apparently a lot of municipalities have specific exemptions for noise bylaws for generators running during power outages. So check your local area. The other option uh, is if you offer to rescue your neighbor's deep freeze with your generator and an extra extension cord, they're gonna be a whole lot less likely to complain about the noise from it. Um, and yes, the, the Honda EI series are absolutely beautiful and so quiet, they're lovely, but yes, bloody expensive. Three, $3,000 for the, uh, the 3000 series. Yeah, they're not cheap. Oh yeah, they, no. they are not cheap. I would That's love to have so one, worth. but I'm just not gonna afford one at that price. No, and, and yeah, Hondas are nice, but you're also paying for the name. Yeah. Well, and reliability yep. too, and everything else. Like the, uh, I guess now it's the twenty two hundred. Used to be the two thousand, but it's twenty two hundred now. You can link them in series as well, which is kind of nice. But uh, yep. that's the a, a, lot, a lot of the inverted ones though. You can link in series. My my champion, you can link them in series. Yeah. So they're, they're, I mean, they're pretty parallel. Or sorry, parallel. My that's bad. right. Yeah. Okay. Parallel. <laughs> so it's kind of Thank you. Don't end up with the voltage. Um, yeah. No. It's it's uh, handy little toys for sure. Um, one last thing to talk about generators, uh, bonded versus floating neutral. Bonds, they're using the metal frame as part of the neutral circuits. Floating, it's just the wires. Typically, this won't have an impact on most homeowners. Um, sometimes it can cause tripping in GFIs. If you're getting down into the weeds that much, uh, um, we're happy to help you out. But for the purpose of tonight, I wouldn't really worry about it. Um, typically standalone generators it's not going to be an issue um we did get into some of the maintenance issues um so jeff did you want to put some of the uh the ideas for things to know how to do ahead of time yep uh, um ian ian mentioned it earlier the obvious things um know how to change your oil it's it's not that difficult in those those small engines but know how to do it, know where the filler plug is, know, know that kind of stuff. Most of the, uh, those small engines don't have a, uh, um, a f an oil filter to worry about changing. It's just simply drain out the old oil, put in the new oil. Um, spark plugs, always have spare park spark plugs, know how to change them. They're not difficult. Uh, you just need to have the spark plug wrench. Um, spark plugs those are, those are really two main sizes. Fuel filters, inline fuel filters. Yeah, you can do that. They don't come with them normally, so you have to install yeah, them. Yeah, I was just going to say, my, my generator does not have a uh, an inline filter. Some of them maybe do. Check your owner's manual and and see what's there. Um, I did mention it earlier. Again, fuel rotation. Make sure you're rotating the fuel that's in the tank as well mm -hmm. as your, your external uh, source of fuel. Um, and depending know, on... The um, depending on the climate too, uh, air filters, because some people live in really dusty or dirty climates. Other people, you know, they can get away with a little yep. longer, but at least have a, know if it's a foam or a paper filter or whatever it is and see if you have to carry spares or, or at least uh, filter oil for the foam ones. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Good. So I think that's been an and, excellent and, deep and, dive. And the, 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 the only other thing that you, you may want, um, I have it. Some is um, spare pull cord, spare pull cord, possibly a handle. Uh, it's not that uncommon if you've got a pull it that you're gonna eventually break a pull cord. So, 
Um, I've done it a couple times. It's not that hard to fix it. You just need to, you just need to know. That and uh, you can go and buy reels of it for pretty cheap. Um, you, how many things that you have on your property, your chainsaw, your weed eater, your lawnmower, your generator, your, your, snowblower, your snowblower. Yeah, yeah, your, everything. Your, all those things have pull cords on them. Save yourself a whole lot of headache. Go and buy a reel of starter cord and a good pair of scissors to cut it with. Keep them together. You never run out. Yep. True. Well, I guess time to move on to the podcast challenge. Yep. I absolutely didn't lose my spot on the uh, show notes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if you are new to prepping, reach out to reach out to us, join the Discord group, ask as many questions as you like. If prepping is already your thing, offer to help someone recently affected by this week's events. Fair enough. Uh, we actually uh, we did time out for the episode as far as we were going to cover off pantry and cooking episodes or cooking topics for new preppers, but we'll probably carry on with maybe next episode or at least uh, one down the line. We'll get back to that for new preppers, but uh, yeah. We'll some back to basics uh, episode kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, upcoming events, uh, still maple seed events across Ontario as well. Uh, not all sold out, surprisingly. There's a, there's a few available still. So if you want to improve your basic uh, marksmanship with 22s, that's a great idea. Go to mapleseedrifleman.com slash events. And the uh, annual preppers meet is uh, in Desboro, Ontario. That's uh, near Meaford Owen Sound area. Anybody knows those towns, Western Ontario. Uh, if you're interested in going, they do have a website, uh, www.annualpreppersmeet.com. It's got info on there. You can buy tickets. Uh, tells you uh, who the other vendors are that are there. Um, I personally haven't been. Eric's been. I I haven't. Uh, whether I can make it this this year or not is is going to be up in the air. There's a a conflict for me that same weekend, but um, I've heard nothing but decent things about it. Um, and there's a lot of of good stuff there. So if you're interested, look it up. Cool. Uh, deal of the week. So a bit of a story. If you were listening to the other CPP, this was covered about a year and a half ago. Uh, Fire Force Ventures was a, or is still a store in Calgary. Uh, unfortunately, they had a bit of a run-in uh, with the law and some with some public complaints because they were selling um, camouflage from a, a certain now defunct South African country. And uh, they were accused of being white supremacists, despite the fact that the gentleman was from Asia. Um, anyway, long story short, he's had his fill of Canada. He's moving to Texas. And so now, which is good for us, short term, uh, he's blowing out his entire store. 25% uh, off if you use the uh, discount code DYNAMO at uh, fireforceventures.com. And uh, for example, right now they've got MREs on for about 10 bucks a pop, which is a stellar deal, especially in this day and age, uh, as well as a bunch of other backpacks camo everything else um check them out they're uh they're a solid store and hey, uh shout out outs to... well sorry was that scott no i was gonna say going into shout outs i see you've got some yeah so shout outs just to the, to the uh, shearing crew for today uh we had uh, jack russ amy isabel and mark all show up uh give me a hand with the, the alpacas today it's much appreciated uh anybody else yeah uh i'll do a shout out to uh kevin from our uh, local prepper group who set up the uh, meet and greet for us. Uh, I know he listens to the show, so uh, thanks for setting that up, Kevin. Um, it was a, a good time to be had. Yeah, it's good. It's nice to find local guys for sure. 
All right, I guess I'll bring episode uh, 163 of the Canadian Pepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please help us out and submit a review. It helps other people find us. And we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Pepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we're going live. If you want to reach, reach me directly, and I always love answering questions, you can call me or... Uh, you can't call me. Uh, you can email me at Alan, that's with one L, at prepperpodcast.ca. He said he can call you. What do you want us to call you? Anything but late for dinner. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you want to reach me, you can uh, just throw a generic email in at uh, feedback at uh, prepperpodcast.ca. And if Eric feels up to it, he'll uh, send it over to me. Oh, well, I'll tell you too. It goes I've by I've already told you everything I know. So- so I can prepper podcast.ca works for me also. I can be reached at bad bat brad cpp at gmail.com if anybody wants to chat. Awesome. Uh, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at the island retreat at gmail.com. You can also occasionally find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast on iTunes and YouTube. We record Monday evenings now at 8 30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I'm also the Discord chat for both CPPs, as most of the guys are here, I think. Um, email us if you want an invite. There's uh, about 200 people on there now. Uh, there is, you can find us discussing why government waste in society has me upping my generator card game. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. Mm-hmm.